Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series on the family, entitled Legacy. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. We're going to pray. It's been quite a week in America, very unexpected. I mean, who would have thought that Georgia would have beat Auburn? I mean, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while, doesn't it? Okay. No, in all seriousness, we as a, as a people, here, here's the thing. Nothing changes for us as a church. Here, the reality is this. Before time began, God ordained the president this time and the next and the next. And our job is to be faithful. And so here's what I want you to do. Number one, stay off Facebook. And if you have to be on Facebook, post cute puppies or something. That's about all you're allowed to post. Because this is a chance, y'all, for the church to show love. This is, the, this is a great opportunity where the, world, the earth is divided for the people of the world to see all different races, all different nations, all different demographics, all different socioeconomic, all this stuff come together and say, what makes us one, and we're gonna celebrate it after the, uh, uh, the sermon, is Lord's Supper, is Jesus. That's what makes us one. And so there should be a great oneness in the body of Christ because of who our king is. And he will not be a four-year king or an eight-year king. He will be an everlasting king, all right? And he's not looking for your vote, all right? He is, he is demanding and desiring your worship. And so that's what we're here to do. So let me pray, um, and then we'll jump into our, our text for today. Just listen to the words of, of David, or Asaph, excuse me. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the, peop- to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Father, we come to you, our righteous judge who has lavished us, we just sang about it, in mercy and grace so that we can stand unashamed of of who we are because of Christ, that we stand solely in what he has done for us and we come just confidently before your throne of grace, uh, not because of anything we have, but because of all that you have and the love that you have for us. And so we come as your people. I pray that we would, we would look like your people, that we would respond like your people, that we would be lovers of God and lovers of people, the two greatest commandments. I pray that as we speak of this, this really a, a hot topic again today, just give me grace because... I, you know how imperfect of a father I am, how imperfect of a husband I am. And so for me to have to talk about parenting is, is almost laughable. But yet you've, you've put this on our heart, you have called us to this. And so just help me to proclaim truth in a way that is practical and helpful to your body so that we are just, we're building legacy. We're building people who will come behind us who love you and love people and just continually do that until you return as king. So we pray it by your spirit and for your son's glory. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. 
All right, we are in week two of a three-week kind of mini-series. If you're visiting or new, what we usually do is we work through books of the Bible. Once in a while, when there's kind of an important topic, we'll kind of hit it. And so we started a three-week series last week called Legacy, which is in essence a, a, a series on parenting. Um, but I know that one of the things we're thinking, oh, I'm, not a, I'm a teenager or my kids are gone. And it's not just about being a parent because ultimately we are all children of God. And so the principles we have been talking about and will continue to really are first and foremost applicable there. And then we apply them to our homes after that. And so it's not check out for two weeks, I'll come back after Thanksgiving. It's, these are all things for us now. Um, and so just to kind of recap for, for you who weren't here last week, we are not talking about perfect parents or perfect kids because there's none. You are gonna get mad at your kids. Your kids will probably get more mad at you. You're gonna yell at them. You're gonna hurt their feelings. You're gonna make them cry. You're gonna yell at your spouse. You are going to fail. So if you're looking to be perfect parent with perfect kids, this is not the series for you. What we're talking about though is building something that lasts beyond us, right? Building something that, that lasts when we are long gone. And there's no formula for it. There's no A plus B equals guaranteed results. Because even if you could be the perfect parent, and even if you had the perfect kid, one day they're gonna walk out of the house, they're gonna go out into the world and they got to make their own decisions and they're gonna make dumb ones, and so, just like you did. So, so just understand we're talking about not, not perfection and we're not expecting it, right? Second thing is we don't, just because we can't guarantee results, we're not talking about being negligent and lazy, all right? We, we wanna be diligent and do our part to diligently teach, Deuteronomy says, our children and to train them and equip them uh, and we, we're trusting God with the results. And finally, again, we're not, we're not motivated by guilt or shame because there's a lot of people that have already come up and I just dealt with the first week and said, man, I wish I would've had something just similar to this when my kids were young and I, you know, my kids messed up or, and, and the answer is no. And we're not saying, oh, you should've done this. Now your kid's destined to be, you know, you know he's gonna be a felon. He's going, he's gonna be a gang. He's gonna be one of the bloods now. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to do that because we've all made mistakes. But you need to remember this, as the psalmist says, just as the, the Lord shows compassion to his children, right? Just as the Father shows compassion to his children, so does the Lord show compassion to us. There's gonna be failures and that's okay. That's why you're here. That God has rescued it and he has redeemed and he's doing something and his spirit is powerful and he's moving. And so we're not trying to guilt. We're not trying, oh, woe is me, I, I messed up. Right, so we're not going there, nor are we gonna be able to talk about everything, remember. If you have questions, I've only got one so far, so one good question, and, I'll, and we're gonna try to get that this week or next on the, on the blog, but if you have questions specifically, or what do I do about this, or what about, I don't understand about this, or you said something like this, just email them to us, and we will, we're gonna do the video blog either at the end of this week or early next week, and just put it on there so you have specific questions. And, and, and if you need some resources, I mean, there's tons of resources out there, great books, I mean, Focus on the family. It's been around for 80 years. It's a great resource. It's all their stuff's online. Family Life, Dennis Rady and his ministry. All sorts of great books written. And you can talk to us and ask us what, what, what some thoughts. There's some on the web already. Uh, but there, there's plenty of things out there. Listen to Christian Radio and there's plenty of great ministries on there, podcasts, everything. So if you need help with finding some of that stuff, you can come to us. Um, so here's three big ideas we talked about. We're gonna keep at the forefront of where we're going. Number one is faith, that we're parenting from faith, that, that we're, not trying, oh, we're not trying to make sure we master everything and, and make sure we don't miss anything. There's a point where unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, build labor, labor in vain, that you can do all you can 
And in the end, you still have to trust that God's gonna move because he's the only one that can change the hearts. And so we wanna start with faith and not eat the, the, the bread of anxious toil and trust God that he loves our kids more than we ever could and that he is, he is sovereign over our kids and he knows what's gonna happen and so we can trust him with that. And so we wanna start with faith because then, then we're not worried and fearful and all these, oh, what if I messed up? What if my kid went to the wrong school? We wanna remember that the target is to get our children on God's mission and the way he has created them to do that. And each kid is different and each arrow is gonna go in different ways, but we still wanna hit them the target that they are living their lives knowing Christ, wherever that is. Professional athlete, you know, working as a carpenter in town, whatever that is, that they are the gifts that God has made them uniquely, that we are as parents supposed to figure that out and each one's gonna be different and we're gonna we're help them to get on the mission, right? And we're gonna hit that target. And the target is not to make you look good, to make you rich, to buy you a house at Tybee. If they do that, that's a bonus, all right? But that's not the goal. And the third thing is, is, is we, we need each other to see the blind spots that we have because we all have them. And I know it's very touchy. This, this is where we're not really good. When someone comes up and actually suggests something about parenting to us, there, it's like immediate, like, what are you talking about, Willis? Right? There's a defensiveness that we need to get over. Right? Because people who love us are just trying to encourage us and help us and say, hey, have you thought about this? They're not telling you that you're the worst parent ever. They're just trying to give you some truth. And we need each other because we all have gaps and we all miss things. All right? So that's, that's, that's where we've been. Here's the kind of chart that we showed you last week. Um, and we dealt with establishing authority. We dealt with the little guys last week, the zero to five. But the point of this, of this chart is, as time goes on, ideally, there's more freedom and independence because the goal is for these children to leave, right? And so as time goes on, and as they're given more responsibility, they're, they're allowed more freedoms, right? But in those first years, what we want to do is we want to limit those freedoms and establish authority so that our children understand what it is to put themselves under the authority of their parents, to, to humbly come and say, this is mom. Mom says I got to do this. I'm going to listen. I'm going to trust her, right? And that, that's where we want to be. And what we've seen in our culture is we've given our two and three and four-year-olds all sorts of freedoms. And so they're running around crazy and they're kind of thinking they're the master of their own ship. And by the time that person gets to 14, 15, he's not learned self-control, he doesn't know how to make wise decisions, so then we have to clamp down on them and limit their freedoms. And a 14-year-old knows that he's supposed to be experiencing more freedoms. His bedtime should not be eight o'clock, but he's feeling squeezed and he gets frustrated and it's because we flipped the paradigm. So what we're saying is, you don't have to give your three-year-old the entire crayon box with 700 crowns. That will frustrate him. Give him three, right? So he says, oh, I have three to choose from. That's, that's much more helpful. Don't say, here, here's all the cereals in the world. And what do you want? French toast, eggs, bacon, blah, blah. Say, here's your Cheerios and your orange juice. Enjoy. Because at that age, that's what they need. They just need to come under their mom and dad. And then when they get to be 10, they can decide. Okay? I get 12 crayons now. All right? If you're 12 year olds old and still crayoning, you know, we might need to talk about that too. But all right? So anyway, so that's, that's the idea. All right? So that the, at the young age, they can learn self-control so that one day they're going to make wise decisions. Um, today, we're going to talk about the second kind of area here. It's developing responsibility. And this is, again, ages aren't exact. But they're, you know, five, maybe five, maybe 13. So don't get locked in there. But this age where we're, we're trying to develop responsibility. Okay, so we have a bunch of kids. If you're between the ages of six and 12, 13, go ahead and stand up right now. Let me see all my little guys and little gals. All right, stay up strong. Okay, look. So we got a bunch of these guys in here, right? This is, and just so you know, this is awesome. 
Right, we have, we, our philosophy is we believe that these guys should be in here with you guys. And then next service, they can go with their, with their parents. You guys can sit. Thank you so much. So you guys right now are our future. You guys are our legacy. And, and you just need to know, Pastor Bill loves you. But you're not going to be super happy with me at the end of the sermon. But I still love you. Because <laughs> your parents are going to be like, all right, I'm going to go home. And things are going to change. <laughs> but... but we want to talk about developing responsibility in this, in this group, right? There is something maturing about having responsibility, about carrying weight, right? There's just something that, that grows you up when you're experiencing something and you're doing something. And we see this a lot, y'all, with, with single guys. We've had a couple of them on staff. We're like, that guy's a knucklehead. And then he gets married. And it's like, he's a new person, and, and, and he's doing this thing. And we've been talking to that guy for three years about that thing. And all of a sudden he starts doing that thing. And we're like, what in the world happened? She happened. She's much cuter than we are. We've been telling him that for three years. He gets to do it in a week. What is that? There's something maturing about carrying that weight of marriage. It's, it grows you up quick. Right? And so ladies, if you're looking at the 20 year olds and they're all knuckleheads, there's hope. I promise you. Just relax. All right? Because there's something maturing about carrying weight. And, and there's something maturing about our children just carrying weight and developing responsibility. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm going to show you an example from Scripture, and we're just going to give some practical ideas. All right? And, and I could have gone to a couple different areas. I looked at Daniel. I looked at Samuel. But I think one of the greatest examples of this, of this developing responsibility and how it equips you to be sent out, is, the, is one of the greatest stories in all the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 17. We're not going to look at the entire story, but we're going to look at kind of the first piece. This is a pinnacle moment in David's life, and it comes very early. Most scholars think he's about 15 years old, all right? David is the youngest of eight brothers. He is short and handsome, which is awesome, okay? At least the short part, all right? And he has been anointed the next king of Israel, although nobody really knows it except for him and his family. Okay, and so what's going on in this context is the armies of Israel have aligned across this valley from the armies of the Philistines, and they're going to war, and the Philistines have a ringer, this 10-foot dude named Goliath who carries this 15-pound, you know, spear, and he's just this monster, and he comes out every day for 40 days basically saying, hey, y'all, we don't need to everybody fight and everybody die. Here's what I want you to do. You send out your champion. I'll come down. We'll play a game of one-on-one. Winner takes all. You be our slaves. If, we, if I win, we'll, you know, we'll be your slaves if, if your guy wins. And for 40 days, he comes out mocking Israel and just taunting them. And, and all the Israelites just run away. They're scared. Okay. And so David is at home taking care of the sheep. His three older brothers are actually in Saul's army. And they're there. And dad says, hey, take some food, take some lunch to your brothers. And so he does it. And this is where we pick up in our text. All right. Verse 20. And 21, David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse has commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistine drew up for battle, army against army. I love real quick that it says that Jesse commanded him and he listened. Just, just a, it stuck out to me this week. He, he's the king, by the way. He's been anointed king, but he's still listening to his dad right? He, he understands where his authority is even there. But he goes out 
and he shows up, and just as he shows up at Israel's camp, everyone's lined up for battle. Verse 22, David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. But here's the difference. This time David heard him. And as soon as the Israelites saw him, they began to run away, which must have been shocking to David. And so they're telling David, hey, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free. That means he doesn't pay any taxes. So if you can, if whoever beats this guy is going to have a great life. And so the wheels start turning in David's mind. And he asks again, what, what is to be done? What's gonna happen? And what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine, who takes the reproach away? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And his older brother hears him talking and he starts getting mad at him. He's like, you just wanna be here. Why have you come down? With whom, you, you, who the sheep getting washed by? You just wanna see blood and guts. You just wanna see the battle. I know your heart, you wicked, wicked younger brother of mine. That's what he's accusing him of. He's like, what, I just ask a question. Questions that they should be asking. Who is this Philistine? As, and as he's doing this, people start talking and word gets back to King Saul. And so Saul calls him. He said, the words that David spoke were heard. They, they repeated before Saul and he sent for him. And David, okay, little 15-year-old David, short, handsome, right? Everyone else is running away. He, he doesn't have any weapons. He has no sword. He's just a little dude, a buck 10, right? And, and he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. I'll go fight him. Now, if he's 10 feet tall, the Goliath, and David's short, i.e. 5'5'2", five, five, he's half his height, right? And he's, I got this. I'll go, king. And Saul said, no way. You, you're not able to go against this Philistine. You're just, you're just a youth. He's been a man of war since he was before a youth. He's been killing people since before you were born. There is no way that you can fight this guy, right? But notes the confidence of David. He pushes back to the king of Israel. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him. All right, you're a shepherd. A bear comes, takes a sheep. What do you do? It's just one sheep. <laughs> Remember, if a bear comes, really, you're supposed to play dead, right? That's the rule. You're not supposed to go after him. And a lion? And if he rose against me, I caught him, and I, and I struck him and killed him. And, and then the next verse is striking to me. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Notice the plural. So there's more than one lion and more than one bear. That means he's done this at least four times. All right? I mean, in his little, you know, cave, he's got, you know, lion heads and bear heads and there's everything up on the wall. Big old beards, right? He's grabbing them by. But notice, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And notice what he says. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. Notice the confidence. This is not youthful arrogance. Don't mistake this for 15-year-old that thinks he can conquer the world. That's not this. What he's saying is, Here's why I can do this, King. Because I've done something like this before with lions and bears. Now, what do you think's harder, King, the bear or this, this uncircumcised Philistine? 
Because in my mind, I got this. There's the same. Because I've done this before. But it's not just, understand, it's not just his experience. Because if it's just his experience, then it is arrogance. Yeah, I got this. I'm the man. It's not just that. Notice his language. Somebody has been teaching this boy theology. He says this uncircumcised Philistine, that is not some like, you know, slang of the day, right? This bum. What he's saying is he's not part of the covenant community. We are. Our God is the living God. Their God is the dead God, right? He has defiled the armies of the living God, which means he's defiling our God. What he's saying is, I know what the promises to Abraham are. God promises if we do this, we're gonna, he's gonna do this. I know he has given us land. He has given us all these things. He has promised that he would do all these things. I know that this guy doesn't have a real God. So his confidence is not just in what he's done. It is in what God is doing which is what we talked about last week, getting our kids on, on God's mission. What is God doing? What does he do with, with like this situation? And so in verse 37, he says, and it shows that it's not confidence, it's humility. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion. It wasn't me. And the paw of the bear, it wasn't me. And he, the Lord, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, it's not really about me. I have this experience. God has given me this gifts. God has given me these things that I've done. He's prepared me. And God will do the same thing he's done in the past in the future. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but it's kind of the same because the Lord is the consistent one. He knows how he's been created. He has done something before. He's not just talked about it. He's actually done something and he knows what God is doing. And you put those in there, there's a, there's a, a humility, but a confidence. That's what we want in our children. Not just something we talk about, and then you know the story, he goes out with his slingshot. This, l- let me tell you, that was not the first time he ever used a slingshot. He had practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. So there is his effort and his preparation, but there is God's control that he is putting his trust in. That's what we want for our kids. You work hard, you do your best, and you trust God with the results. That's what he's got. He's got hours with that slingshot. But yet, and in the end, it's God who brings the stone to the temple of the giant and brings him down. And that's what, those are the two things we shouldn't just be talking about with our kids. We should be, we should be let them experience, know what God is doing and give them experience. So when they face this in the future, yeah, it may be a bear versus a Goliath. It's a little bit different, but I've seen what God's done here. I've seen how he's wired me. I know what my gifts are. Pretty good with a slingshot. I, I can do this too, because I've done something before, right? We, we do real good. I do real good about talking about things. But, and I've told you before, this, this little slogan that I learned when I was out of the J.H. Ranch out in California. I hear, I forget. I see, I remember. I do, then I understand. We're really good about seeing and hearing, but not real good about doing. And my fear is this for us as a church and for a, a Christian people, that we talk so much about doing stuff that it builds up this false sense of confidence that we don't really, we, we can talk about stuff, but we really don't know what it means. We've never done anything. It's like when I was in seminary. When I'm in seminary, me and my buddies, we are talking about planning churches and you would have thought we were like the Billy Grahams. We were like, we know it all. I mean, all you gotta do is this, this, and this. And we're all in churches, good churches that you would all be part of. And we're like, yeah, this is what I would do if I was in charge. Yeah, these guys don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they're yeah, crazy. I mean, us seminary students, I've got like one semester of Greek. I know what I'm doing. I mean, we're just talking smack and talking all these things. No respect for the process. No, res- no understanding of all the ups and downs of the years. These guys got 30, 40 years of ministry. We're just all experts. We know how to do it better. And then we graduate. And then some of us actually do this thing. And at that point, 
after the little three-week honeymoon period of romance and you know, everyone wants to plant a church and after three weeks, you're like, what are we doing here? Right, because we think you're gonna have a thousand people after three weeks. But after that, you start realizing and understand, oh, now I get it. And there's an appreciation and an understanding and, and of how hard it is and how all the ups and downs. I mean, I remember back in the day, you know, one couple would come and we would treat them like so nice. And they would act like we were the greatest church ever. And we're thinking, surely they'll come back. And they never come back. They lie straight to your face. We'll be back next week. And they never come back. And it's just so disheartening, right? You're like, man, if we could just break the 25 barrier, right? And then one family just happens to come back. And it's like this glorious, thank you, Lord. Right? And the ups and downs of that. And people leaving because of this. And, and I didn't know that until I did it. And I didn't have a humility and appreciation of how hard it is until we did it. I could talk about it, just preach the word. That's what they told me in seminary. Just preach the Bible and then it will come flocking to you, Bill. It's not how it works. All right, it's just not. And there's something about doing. And there's some things, y'all, that can only be caught, that can't be taught. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. And, and I, let, me, let me address the younger folks a little bit. I'm going to be a little hard on you because I love you, okay? Just, just know Pastor Bill loves you. But we have a culture that has told some of you young folks, and you've been hearing it since you were three years old. I mean, you've been listening to Elmo, that you're the best. You're the best, and we've given you a trophy just because you showed up, right? And then you go to school, and you hear a little information, and you just kind of regurgitate that information, and we give you an A, and we tell you you're the best. And then you go off to college, and they tell you to read this book and tell us what this book's about, and you do it, and you tell them, and you get an A, and then you graduate and you think, I am an expert, but you still haven't done anything. And you show up at work, this is how the world works, and you don't even know. You haven't even paid for your car insurance yet. <laughs> right? And, and it, there's just this arrogance and entitlement because we've not done anything. You just haven't done anything. Right? And, and I'm here to tell you that one of the things you need to do is you need to, this is the application for all the, the young folks, millennials and below, is you just need to hush for a little bit and watch and listen, all right? And, and just kind of serve in obscurity. Don't try to be in charge. Just because Elmo told you you should be in charge doesn't mean you should be in charge. And just kind of put yourself under some people that have been there and done that and got the t-shirt. It's the greatest thing you can do for yourself right now. I was so proud of our college students this Thursday. Steg got up and taught them and he said, hey, we just need some help in the nursery. And like 25 of them just signed up right there. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. People that are gonna serve in obscurity and just show up. That, see, that's the kind of thing that, that's what you need. They're just gonna listen. They'll learn about parenting more than that room than they'll learn anywhere else, right? They'll learn, do I wanna get married after all? Probably not, you know? <laughs> so that'll be great for some of them. So application for the younger folks, kind of just listen and watch and observe and ask questions of older people. Not the guy, yeah, he's your, your roommate. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. Ask somebody that's over 50, right? Because they have valuable positions. And if you're the over 50 crowd, here's your application. You need to chill out. Because you did not walk uphill in the snow both ways. We all know that that didn't happen. And yes, it's always the young whippersnapper's gonna ruin our nation and ruin our church. Yes, yeah, so everybody has that, kind of the next thing. But you, it's your job to, to be patient and love these folks and, and help them see truth. So 
and I was reminded by my wife this week that the, the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, right? That just those two things right there that we often apply that to marriage. It's actually supposed to be the relationships here. It's supposed to be parenting. Love is patient, love is kind with this child, with the 22-year-old that thinks he knows everything about the world. That, that's, that's where we're at, Right? And so we, we don't want to create a young generation that feels entitled, like they know everything, that is lazy, because then they think they do what they want, and that whatever they are is right. Here's what the proverb says, that the sluggard, the lazy person, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Have you seen that lately? Right? The guy that does nothing is wiser than seven guys that are doing something. We don't want to create that. So what we're talking about is in their youth developing responsibility, let them carrying some weight so that they experience need. So they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I can ask somebody. There's humility there. That's what we're trying to build is a humbleness, but yet a confidence in what God is doing, all right? And so, so let me talk, just, to, just let me give you some, some practical thoughts on developing. And this is not all, everything, and this is not even something that I've done well all the time, right? And so, uh, but it's just some ideas for your six to 12. And it's not just six to 12. If, it, if you're 22 and you've never done any of this, this is for you. And if you're a grandparent and you're like, well, my kids are gone, but you see your kids kind of doing this, you might want to encourage. I mean, so it's across the spectrum, right? So back to our graph again, right? Maybe not. There's our, where's our chart? There we go, right here. Go to it. There it is. Okay. So again, as time runs on, more freedoms, Right? And as, as you develop responsibility, and we'll talk about this next week, when your kids are in high school and beyond, they're, they're going to have more independence and freedoms because they're carrying the weight well. Right? That's the idea, is the more responsibility they're carrying, the more freedom they have because they're showing that they can handle it. Right? And so that's, that's where we're going. Um, but here, here's kind of the first, as we talk about developing responsibility here, here's kind of the first thing I want, want you to think about, is that we ought to teach our kids to work. And I know you hear me say this a lot. Work, 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 work. That's because work is good. And work, as we talked about a few months ago, is your way not only to do good to others, it's the way you do good to, to the world. It's the way you love the world, the way you work. And so laziness, you need to teach your kids, laziness is wickedness. It's not just, well, that's what teenagers do. Laziness is wickedness. Read through the Proverbs. And, and directly correlation to the way you work, how diligent you are, is going to probably be your success, right? It just is. Just like those who can put themselves under authority, honor your father and mother, why? It will go well with you in the land. The person that knows how to follow instruction, that person's going to have a longer, more successful life. It's just the principle of the matter, right? That's, that's what Ephesians was talking about. If, if this person, can, if you can work hard, if you can be diligent, if you can do things with excellence, it, you're going to see success. It may not be money, but you'll be success. The goal should not be to get out of work, to work 12 hours so I can go play video games and surf and drink coffee. It, it's to, to do well to the world and love the world and honor God wherever God puts you. So your children, 6 to 12, they need to have chores. I know 6 to 12-year-old, you're mad at me. That's okay. I love you. All right? You need to have chores. Age appropriate? I don't want 4-year-olds... I don't want to drive through Savannah next week and see four-year-olds with hedge trimmers outside. We don't want to see that, all right? Age-appropriate, boy and girl, need to, they should know basic things. They should know how to sweep a floor. We got high schoolers, y'all. You could ask Talavo. They did not know how to sweep 
like him. I'm kidding you. All right? They should know how to sweep a floor. They should know how to load the dishwasher. They should know how to clean a closet, to, to do their room. I'm not talking about perfection, but they should be able to do these things. The grass should be able to be mowed, bringing in groceries. I mean, just simplistic things, putting clothes away. They should, they should know how to do that. Wash a mirror down. It's, it's just simple stuff. But in, and understand this, in doing this, there's gonna be a little bit of sacrifice. Number one, in time, because you're gonna actually have to teach this kid to do this. And number two, in quality. And here's what I mean. You teach a six-year-old to load the dishwasher, there's gonna be some broken stuff. And you gotta be okay with that. You teach a 12-year-old to do their own laundry, which is good, then you're gonna have some baggy jeans go to skinny jeans. This <laughs> is gonna happen, Okay. If you teach your 13, 12-year-old to do the lawn, it is not going to look like Augusta National. Not at first. But here's the thing, I promise you. It is better for your child to learn how to cut the grass. And could you pay someone to do all these things? Absolutely. Could you load the dishwasher quicker? I promise you I can. I can do it like NASA. I can fit everything in the closet in that thing if I want. I know how to do it. And it's frustrating when I see dishes sideways. It makes me go crazy, all right? It's a little bit of my intensity coming out, all right? But here's the thing. It is more important for that child to be developed and your yard to not compete with your neighbor than for your, your yard to look like Augusta. So could you pay for it to get done? Absolutely. But I promise you, your 13-year-old boy needs it more. And he will not regret it. Because your yard in a week needs to be cut anyway. So who cares? That, that's the idea. It takes time and sacrifice, but it's, that's, what you, that's why you have kids. This is what your time. And the, here's the great thing. When my 12-year-old, I think he was 11, same was 11 when he started doing the yard, and it, it was not great. I'll tell you right now, he goes out and does it. I don't worry about a thing. He's been doing it for five years now. It's great. He edges good. He weed whacks good. Sometimes I have to say, hey, did you do the blower? But he's like, oh, I forgot. And he goes back out. But I'll tell you, I'll put it up against any lawn care in the, in the state that you're paying $50 for. And it's only been five years. And Seth's about to get, he's about to graduate. All right. He's about to graduate into mowing. Right. But that's the point. Save myself 50 bucks, raise him up and carrying some weight. It's a double bonus. Right. And here's what it does. It just shows your children that, that what we all know, that life is not always about doing what we want. Because how much of life is just repetition? Laundry, grocery store, bills, phone calls, email. No one likes those things really. No one's like, I can't wait to do the laundry today. It's gonna be phenomenal. I love the smell of Tide in the morning. Uh, you know, I was thinking that. But it's a necessity of life. And what you're doing is you're teaching your 12-year-old. It's not always about what you wanna do. But you get to do other things that you, you want to do later. And, and what's, that gonna, what's that gonna mean when he's 23 and he gets his first job? And it's not his dream job, but he said, hey, I used to mop the floor, clean up dog mess, do all these things. I can do this for a while until that new thing opens up. I'm just raising him to do that. Rather than the 22-year-old waiting for 180K a year because he's an expert, because he's got a bachelor's from Georgia Southern, right? It, it's just a future thing here, right? And so it's, it's, this is where we develop it. It's where we start it, the consistency of just showing up. It's your dishwasher day. It's your day to go scoop the poop. It's your day to take the trash out. It's your day to make your bed. It's your day to vacuum. All right, that's, that's what we're doing. So six to 12, and even beyond, this doesn't mean 13-year-olds are like, I'm out, no more trash for me. I'm not saying that, but we need to start when they're young. Here's the second thing. Create opportunities. Oh, and here's, here's why. 
It is good for a man that he bears a yoke in his youth. This is Solomon, right? He's probably got a thousand kids. He's got a thousand wives. He says, when they're young, they should bear the yoke. All right, second thing, create, them to do, create opportunities to do hard things. This is big. Here's a great book for some of y'all to read. Boys in the Boat. All right, some of you need to read that book. It's a great book. It's about the 1936 Olympics. This, this crew, this rowing team from the University of Washington, it's like, they're just like the blue collar, you know, and group of guys and they have, to, they have to work hard just to put themselves in school and they're all like lumberjacks and stuff and they have to beat the little Ivy League, East Coast, you know, rich boys to get to the Olympics and it's the hardship in their lives that, that enables them to win and then they go to Berlin and they win the gold. It's just a great story. And we love stories like that. Hardship to victory, don't we? I mean, Rudy, Rocky, Hoosiers, right? All these movies. Happy Gilmore. Uh, <laughs> but here, that, that's the reason why is because adversity makes people great. Read the great bios of, the, of, of all the of Christians from the last thousand years. It is not all their opportunities that made them do great things. It is the adversity. It's the obstacles, right? And so children will, your children will not be equipped just because you put them in a great place to succeed. They will be also equipped by, by carrying some weight and struggling a little bit. I saw this in my own life. I was a spoiled brat until I was 18. And my dad dropped me off at the Citadel and says, it's a long walk home. So you're here. And I said, amen. Yes, sir. Right. And so, but that, I was walking on that campus last week and just reflecting on the misery of my freshman year at a military college. And it shaped me in ways that I still am thankful for. There's a lot of things that are bad, but I was just thankful for the hardship because it taught me diligence and, and, and not to be lazy and to appreciate things and, and, and just self-discipline. It just taught me those things that have gone through. I couldn't have got through seminary in three years. Couldn't have planted this church and all the frustrations and the tire and doing 17 things and multitasking it, without that. It was the obstacle that prepared me. It's the obstacles that will prepare your kids. And here's here, what some of, for some of you, you are super successful. Praise God, he has put you super successful. But most of you got there and you have stories to tell because I've heard them. Bankruptcy here, f this business failed, got fired from this. And, and so what made you successful now was the fact that you, you had some big hardship or some big struggle and you worked your way back up. But here's what we do as parents. We, what made us successful is that hardship. And now we banish all hardship from our sweet little ones and that's what made us successful in the first place. But we don't want them to have experienced the hardship that I had because, and I get it, I'm a dad. I don't want my kids to struggle. But sometimes carrying some weight and wrestling and a little bit of sweat, moms, your kid's gonna wanna come in outside, from being outside after five minutes. I'm hot, I'm tired. Lock the door. <laughs> There's a hose out back. You know what I mean? They need to sweat a little bit. They need to struggle a little bit. It's okay. I'm not saying... I'm not saying exasperate them. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying being domineering, but it is good to carry some weight, all right? It is good to sweat. I had one of my children this week come up to me and say, Dad, can you help me with this homework? I said, sure. What do you need, what do you need help with? What he wanted me to do was do his homework. And what I said was, buddy, you can do this. It was late at night, it was like 7.45. It was almost time for bed. I wanted them to go to bed. He wanted to go to bed. I said, I said, I'm not, I'm not gonna help you with this because I know you can do this. You know what he did? He did it. I could have done it in like five minutes. Hey, here's the answer. But he needs to learn, I can do this. And so when he goes to the next thing, it's harder. I've done this before. 
God's name. He's giving me a mind. I can do this. Right? And I'm not perfect dad. Sometimes I'm like, I give him too much and I exasperate my kids. And sometimes I'm lazy and I'm like, yeah, the answer is C, go. You know, that was just one of one victories this week. All right. But just let them struggle a little bit sometimes and don't re rescue them. Let them lose. Let them lose. It's okay to lose. You know what? 50% so of the teams that played yesterday lost, right? And most of them, we were surprised that they lost. We're like, oh man, Clemson lost, right? But you gotta learn to lose in life because you're not always gonna get the job and you're not always gonna get the scholarship and you're not always gonna be in the perfect situation. And so it's okay. You gotta learn to win, you gotta learn to lose. Just because your kid doesn't get an A, hey, don't go complain to the teacher, maybe your kid didn't deserve an A. Right, maybe they need to have that C so that they can work hard and bring it up. Don't rescue them from, from, from failure. Because we have a generation now that doesn't know how to not get their way. It's like, I didn't get a job. I can't believe it. You, you know I went to college. You know I did this. You know I got this. I'm like, they're shocked because they've never lost. You have lost, but they give, given a medal. Here you go. You lost. Congratulations. You get the same thing as the guy who won. Right? And, and it's like, why do I want to win then? And so just to let them do that. Right? Let them, let them struggle a little bit. Let them, let them feel the weight of it. And then when they, need, when they cry out, Lord, Dad, I can't do this, then you come in and help them. Because then what you're doing is you're picturing God the Father who is always there and ready to, to be there for us. Right? But let them carry some weight and do hard things. Third thing, teach them about money. And that means they should start some of them paying for their own stuff. And the older they get, when you're carrying more weight and there's more freedom, they're paying for more. High school students, we'll get to you next week. Right? You're like, no, no, dad, let's go away for the weekend next week. I don't want to hear this, right? And I'm not saying, okay, breakfast is on you, eight-year-old. You're buying today. I mean, I'm not talking about that. Your job is to provide their necessities, what they need. But here's what I mean. They say, dad, I want this Lego set, which happens in my house a lot. Great. How are we going to save up for that? Because I could go drop $40 right now and it wouldn't be a big thing, but then it won't be appreciated. It'll be built and it'll be in a pile in like three hours. But when they spend their $40, it is a miracle. It is like, it's like the Mona Lisa. <laughs> it's just the nature of man. I mean, we've seen this in the church. We'll say, we're going to do a book study. We gave the book for free. Everyone took one. Three people showed up. I say, we're charging $5 a book. 50 people take it. 50 people show up because they got $5 in the game. You're like, $5? That's all it takes is five bucks to get people to come. But it's the same idea. And our, our little guys need to feel the sting of money going out and then they need to see how long it takes for that same money to come in. I had to do four lawns to pay for this. I had to do this many trash cans to pay for this. And it starts teaching them just at a young age about that. And you, you want to bless them at times because you know what? God gives us good things. So sometimes they're like, I want this Lego set and they're saving and they're saving and you might just go buy it because you're a father who wants to bless your kids. But other times, and you got to figure out how it works in your house with your spouse or if you're a single mom, ask another single mom, whatever it is. Hey, what is, what is the things we do just because we're part of the family? Take the trash out. What are the things that actually get extra? Like, okay, we're going to pay you $10 to do X. And you figure those things out and you let them start some skin of the game. Even with my high school, my daughter, I know how it is. When you're, this is the beautiful thing about parenting elementary kids. You can get them shoes at Walmart and no one cares. That doesn't work in middle school and high school because they read Nike and Adidas and they want the, they want the mainstream stuff, right? And so one, one of my children, my only daughter, she wanted these kind of shoes. And I said, well, we're gonna pay for this much of this kind of shoe because this is a solid shoe and I'm not paying $180 because everybody at your school is wearing them, right? 
but I'll pay this much. If you want to chip in this much for your, she said, I do. I said, bingo. That's what, that's fine. You say I'm mean, maybe so. I just know that shoes are like the worst investment next to cars in the world, right? Because they burn out and you grow out of them in like three weeks. Like I need a new shoe. But some skin in the game, learning to, to value those things. And so just start teaching them now. You figure out what that looks like. I can't tell you for your family, but it's a big one, right? It's a big one. Um, and, and, and Proverbs affirms this. It says, it's good for workers to have an appetite. An empty stomach drives them on. And sometimes our, our kids need to be, have metaphorically empty stomachs, not physically, but metaphorically. All right, let's, let's, hey, if you do the trash can this many times, I will give you $10 and we'll go to Target and we'll buy that thing. And that'll drive them on. Yes, that's what you want. All right, don't let them get into the, like the whole, I'll pay you back. We're not getting debit cards and credit cards at eight years old. I'll pay you next Tuesday for, yeah, we're not doing that yet, okay. All right, here's the next thing is teach them that school is, is their job. And all of us who are adults and out of school know that elementary school and middle school, even though there's some awkward times and there's acne and there's cracking voices and there's things, it's a pretty easy time. I mean, you got math and you're done, right? There's no bills to pay. It's, it's a pretty light moment. We'd be like, oh man, it's so easy going back to those days. And so what we need to teach them is this is the next thing that God has in front of you. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, you may not ever study math again, and math may not be in your future, and neither may history or all these things, but this is what God has for you right now, and so that means you need to do it well. And when I, when I kind of talked to my high schoolers especially, I said, here's your kind of list here. Okay, your first priority is God, your second priority is your family, and right now, where you are in life, your third priority is your, is your school. And then friends, and then hobbies, and then on down, right? But they need to feel that, because one day it will be God, their family, their job. And so this is their job. And I'm not saying they should all get A's because some students are not all A students. All right, some a B is like, woo, you got a B. That's great, right? And that's fine, but they ought to be diligent at it. And you ought to encourage them to be diligent and help them, right? Because this is what's the next thing. Because if you can excel in that which is obscure, this is the kind of thing that faithfulness, when you get older, excelling in the thing that's, in, it's, it's, it's gonna create future opportunities. And I know you're gonna have the kid Everyone has one who's going to say, well, Dad, Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of Harvard when he was a sophomore. And my response, if I was you as a parent, would say, get into Harvard, then we'll talk. <laughs> but right now you're in ninth grade. So do your math work, right? Okay? So, so just, it's a priority. It's important. It's not everything. You say, oh, you didn't get an A. You don't, you're smashing over the head. But they ought to work hard at it. It's not, it's not something to blow off, okay? Because this is the next thing it teaches. Here's the next one. Don't just focus on the physical. Because who cares if your kids are AP honors, if your kid is the quarterback of the University of Alabama, if he is a Harvard scholar, and in the end, he doesn't follow Christ. He gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul. I mean... And we gotta keep that as our target, right? And what we wanna be is, we don't wanna be parents like Lot. Remember the story of Lot? We looked at it in Abraham's life where, where God tells Lot, get everyone out because I'm destroying the city. He goes to his family and says, we gotta go. God says he's destroying the family. And they laughed at him thinking he was joking. Why? Because he had never talked about spiritual things in his life. Why would he start now? Are you taking God seriously? Where's God been for these 30 years of my life? And so we don't wanna be that as parents. And so don't just focus on sports, academia, right? Work even, 
There's got to be a spiritual component which drives everything. And so try to tether the real world, uh, the physical world here to the spiritual reality behind it. And so if this kid is teasing at school, here's what's going on there. And he's insecure and he, he can understand. And here's how we respond. Here's what Jesus says to us because we're followers and blah, blah, blah. And this is why, this is why math matters. Not because God is, is, is mad at you if you get a B plus, but because this is what God has for you and you're to do all things for his glory. And you're tethering these things to the spiritual reality. This is why we don't think it's wise for you, 15-year-old, to be dating right now because of the X, Y, and Z. Explain the why. Don't just give them the what. Right? The what results in one of two things, either legalism right, or, or just absolute rebellion. It's either pride I'm better than this person because we do X, Y, and Z and we don't do X, Y, and Z or just complete like run away. Explain why. This is why we're not gonna go see this movie because it's this in it and I don't want your, your heart to bring those things into your heart, buddy. And so this is why we're not gonna go see that movie. So instead we're gonna watch Star Wars, all right? <laughs> but it gets to the why. They may not like it, but at least they'll hear the why behind it and not just don't go see R-rated movie. It's rated R, it's rated R, it's rated R. I mean, it doesn't help get them ready for when they're 19 and they're like, okay, mom's not here and there's this movie. What am I gonna do? They're gonna say, oh, it's right all right. No, this is the kind of thing mom, dad taught me. This is not good for my heart. And that's where we want them to be. And they're not always gonna make perfect decisions, but we want, we want to tether it to the spiritual. And that means the modeling piece for us is huge. And this is the most convicting for me because every time I lose my temper, every time I do something dumb at the house, I'm thinking, I'm an idiot. And so just remembering that your kids, the way in which you treat the scripture and the way in which you treat your, 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 your boss and your spouse, it's just, a, it's, they're, they're gonna follow it in many ways, which is scary. The way in which you sing when you come in, men, when you just sit there and look at your watch and check the scores and check the stats during the songs, your kid's gonna see that. And that's how he's gonna worship. Right, the way you treat the Lord's day, if you're just like, ah, the fish are good, I'm just gonna blow off church. They're going to see that. And you're, when they're 19 and they're not in, in church at college, you're going to call and say, could you call my son and find him a good church? Why? He's not going to go. Because you didn't put a priority. Why would you expect him to? Just even now, college students, young adults, you are setting yourself up for the way your spiritual life will be later. You're building habits. You're building things. I love how Steg always encourages you with that. So, so start setting those things now that you're going to do in the future. But just remember the way... The, the way you do what they're gonna do. And so you meet, we need to be repenting and we need to go to our kids constantly. How often do you tell your kids you're sorry? Probably not as much as you need to. I know I don't. So, hey, buddy, I'm sorry. I lost my temper. Will you forgive me? Right? For them to see that humility will bring hopefully some humility in them, right? For them to see love is patient and love is kind, we'll start building that into them. And so it's a big piece of what we're doing. And then the last thing is this, is time. And you just can't get around this one. I've told you a thousand times before, I'll keep saying it, there's no such thing as quality time, it's, it's quantity time. Because quality time takes place in the context of, of, of quantity time. Because you can't decide, we're gonna have some quality time together. How do you know? Maybe, maybe you're not. But I can tell you that quantity time will result in quality time. Because it's not just one conversation. Well, I had the talk with him. We did the talk. It's not one talk, it's a thousand talks. You got a high school boy, he's over at BC, he's over at Richmond Hill High School. You got a high school girl, she's over at Savannah Christian. It's more than one talk. It's a thousand talks. Constantly, just relationally, hey, what's going on? Here's how it is. Here's what's truth, here's what's not. It's, it, and that only takes place in quantity. 
That's why knowing each kid individually, just knowing what they like, and you may not like what they like, but that's okay. So you're gonna do this because they do this, and this, you're able to get on their level, and, and you can go lay down in their room at night and talk to them and pray for them, and you can send them a text message, hey, buddy, praying for your test today, how you doing? Just little things that just, that just facilitate just this relational capital in your lives, right? So knowing your kids, and, and if you're gonna do this, let me just tell you, something's gonna suffer. Your golf game probably will suffer for a while, and that's okay, because you're not gonna be on tour anyway, right? And there's gonna be some fish that get away unless you're taking your kids with them. And that's okay. Live to fish another day. Some things, your deal is gonna, your trips and your thing, because you're gonna go to this game, you're gonna coach this team, you're gonna be there. Those things are gonna suffer for now. That's okay. You're gonna build legacy. And you're gonna see kids that love you and that wanna come home. Now, we don't want them to come home and stay home. We want them to come home, visit at Thanksgiving, Bring the grandkids, we'll spoil them a little bit, and we'll send them on home, sugared up. That's what we want. That's our dream. Some of you grandparents now, that's what you do. That's good. That's what grandparents are for. But that's the idea. They're going to want to come home. They're gonna, they're gonna, it's going to be a place where, yeah, there was tough times, and me and mom fought, and we did this, but you know what? I love my mama. love my daddy. You're going to go home and talk. That's what we're building. Kids that love you, love God, Right? So in this, at this age, six to 12-year-olds, just starting to let them carry some weight. Maybe go home and make a chart. All right, what's appropriate for the eight-year-old? What's appropriate for the 12-year-old? Put it on the fridge. Here's what you gotta do every morning. Boom, 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 boom. Start putting, whatever you know, your family dynamic looks like. But and if you need help with that, come talk to us. Ask us some questions. Again, questions at cbcsavannah.com. We're gonna worship now through the table. So I'll ask the men to get ready. Um, and, and real simple is that really the time? Man, we went over. It wasn't me. I'm only 48 minutes. All right. All right, we're only going to have time for one song, E. All right, so let's just do the first one. Um, we're going to celebrate the table. Um, and, and again, this is what pictures our unity, y'all. I mean, this is, this is what makes us one. Right? And this is ultimately we want to be brothers and sisters with our, with our kids, children, with everyone in the room. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what your political what is. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you are my brother and my sister. And we will celebrate the body and the blood together right now with each other. And so how this is going to happen is, guys, you can guys can come forward now. I don't know where the praise team is. Maybe I'm leading worship the second part. <laughs> Sorry about that, E. We only got time for one. You all right? All right. You love me still. All right. And so we're gonna, these guys are going to hand it out. And guys, just start handing it out because we don't have a lot of time. So just start handing it out. We're just going to fly here. This is what we do here at CBC. Because I want you guys to be able to sing a little bit of this song. So hand it out. And just remember what makes us one. Remember what makes us uh, a body. I know the church is getting bigger and some of you are frustrated with that and I feel that tension. I loved it when it was 50 people and I knew everyone's name, but this is a body and there's great things going on in the body. Great people serving each other, loving each other. I met yesterday with, uh, at the, the South Gardens Baptist Church had their homecoming and so I went over and saw 150 of them uh, and it was sweet. I'll tell you, that church has a sweet oneness about it. I mean, most of them are gone and spread out in different churches. We still have about 20 of them here, but, but a lot of them are all over the place. There is a love for each other that I want for us. I don't know if we'll ever do a homecoming, but 
If we do, I want to feel the love that they felt in that room and hugging each other and loving each other and just that oneness. They, so many folks, I just kind of share briefly what's going on. And they were like, I grew up in that church. I am so glad that, that God is doing this through you. It, it's just a sweet time. That's what I want for us. And that only comes through Jesus, our Savior. And so as the, the, the bread is passed out and the, and the juice, just remember the body of Christ was crushed and beaten and pierced so that you could have eternal life. And remember the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sin so that you may know Christ, so that you may live forever. Lord willing, with our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids. Let me pray. Uh, and as uh, Ethan, just play for a few minutes um, and you, you tell us to take uh, and then we'll sing one song together. Let me pray. Father, as we remember your body and your blood, of your son, I pray for just oneness. I pray for our families, um, that you would just help us to, to see our children following you and loving you and loving one another. That our children that come behind us, our grandchildren, they would be taking the torch in a dark world of Christ, that they would be loving God, they'd be loving their neighbor as themselves. Help us to do it. And then whatever needs to be done in our houses, in our homes, just to kind of get back on track in some areas. I just pray we'll just be humble enough to receive it and uh, just be honored as the way we celebrate the table in Jesus' name.